Good morning. Like I said, we have a lot going on today. We are, um, if you came in a little bit late, we have a mission team going to Honduras that we're going to pray for in the beginning of announcements. We have an outreach speaker from the uh, Pregnancy Center of the Low Country who's going to be speaking to us. Then after that, we're going to be bringing the graduates up to pray for them, and they will be going to the Yacht Club. That's why they're all dressed up so nice uh, for, uh, for lunch as an honor to them. Uh, but this morning, I wanted to talk to you about uh, a, com- a common subject that we talk about a lot, and that's relationships. And as you all know, relationships are not easy. Um, and I, oftentimes when it comes to relationships, things go well for a while, and then they can you know, get bad. We have drama and all those kind of things. But I want to give you two examples of what we do sometimes when relationships get stressful. Remember years ago, I had worked at this Christian camp when I was in college, and I decided to go on a weekend for this work camp they had there. But the problem was, two of my buddies last minute said they weren't coming. And I'm like, well, you know, I'm going to go there for a couple days, and I'll go to my parents' house and visit them. So I drove into the camp, got there late, and all the, the cabin I was supposed to sleep in was filled with all these guys, and they were a lot older than me, and they were all like snoring like crazy, and it had no rhythm to it. It was those snores that don't like, like I'm never going to sleep. I tried for a while. It was like chainsaws that kept going off. And finally, I just said, I'm out of here. I got in my car, and I drove to Fairfax, Virginia, and I didn't go on the weekend, which, you know, that was, I wasn't proud of that moment, but oftentimes when things get stressful in relationships, sometimes we physically flee. We get away from those people. For me, it was just because they were bad snorers. I guess I didn't have a very high bar of tolerance, but... Um, But the other thing is sometimes the people closest to us, we can emotionally kind of shut down from those people. And I'll give you an example. Many of the high school students here went to the Dominican Republic with me, and it was an awesome trip. Uh, I always say it was one of the, all my trips are the best trip, but this, I felt like this was one of our best trips. And so I got back and um, I was all excited about it. But throughout the week, I found myself being rude to my wife, being selfish with my kids. And I, I kept using this excuse, well, I'm so tired from the mission trip. And uh, that didn't fly very well when Veronica had been taking care of the kids all week. And, uh, you know, so oftentimes, either we flee physically or emotionally, we shut down or, you know, just do things that we're not very proud of. If you need proof that humans have this condition of struggling in the relationships, just go to the self-help section in Barnes & Noble. When you go there, you'll find all kinds of titles of things uh, of trying to help you. I'm going to read you some of the titles of some popular ones. Hurt people hurt people. The seven secrets to healthy relationships, a journey to healthy relationships, why you do the things you do, the secret to healthy relationships. That secret to healthy relationships seems to be a popular title. Here's a really long one. Get out of negative relationships, let go of toxic people with hypnosis, meditation, relaxation, and affirmations. The sleep learning system. Then we have manipulation, how to regain control and prevent emotional manipulation and mind control in your relationships. Then there's the Take Your Life Back workshop, five sessions to transform your relationship with God, yourself, and others. And there's two more I want to read. Why you do the things you do, and once again, the secret to healthier relationships. That's part of that title. And then finally, what to say when you talk to yourself. So again, I'm not here to make fun of any of these books. I'm sure that they're good books and they help a lot of people. But what is it about the human condition that we need all this help with broken relationships? 
as far as I know, squirrels don't do this. You know, like with squirrels, they don't go to seminars on how to have better squirrel relationships, and maybe it's because they can't write books, I don't know, but I think if all of us are honest, there's this something about the human condition that we struggle with each other. It can be very difficult at times. So who do you look for to find the right guide? How do you decide how to navigate yourself through uh, the complexity of relationships? Well, in our capitalistic Western society, one of the things that uh, can be unhealthy is when we just try to surround ourselves with just positive people and non-toxic people and create this almost utopia around ourselves where we're going to have no drama. We all know that doesn't work. Utopias failed when they tried that before. And when we try to surround ourselves with people that are all positive, eventually that just doesn't last. And we might even find that we might be the toxic person. Or we might be the person that causes drama. Or we might be the person that actually hurts people. So the good news is when you read the Bible, 2,000 years ago, thousands of years even before that, in the Old and New Testament, people had problems. You're not alone. They had major problems. And it wasn't because, sometimes people think, oh, we live in this whole heterogeneous society with all these people from different cultures. We just can't get along. Even when people are just like each other, they can't get along. So that's not an excuse. It's this human condition where people struggle in their horizontal relationships of getting along with each other. So the Apostle Paul, when he wrote this passage in Galatians that um, we read earlier, that Mike read, he has a lot to say about broken relationships. And again, this isn't to replace any self-help book or modern things. This is just very practical advice. He was giving a church that was filled with division, strife, and really, for lack of better words, a lot of drama. And so he ends his letter in Galatians chapter 6 with some important advice. And it wasn't just a few like sayings that he threw out there for people to think about it. It was very deliberate. He wanted these people that were struggling to realize that in Christ, they could reconcile. They could help each other. When they have drama in their lives, they can fix things. They don't need to kick people out and just try to surround themselves with positive people. He knew that in order for the church to grow, it needed to deal with those struggles in a healthy kind of way. But before we get into that, if you look at the totality of Scripture, I wanted to say, uh, start with this, and you go back to the very beginning of the Old Testament after Adam and Eve. They had two sons, Cain and Abel. And talk about relationship drama. The one got jealous, Cain got uh, jealous of Abel, and he killed him. That's the way the Bible pretty much starts, with a murder. And from that, God confronts Cain, and he doesn't, pretends like he doesn't know where his brother is, and he says, am I my brother's keeper? And then throughout Genesis, we see this strife of brother against brother. It happens with Jacob and Esau, when Jacob tries to steal Esau's birthright. Esau plots to kill him. But later in life, we see this possibility of reconciliation Because they come together years and years later, they hug, but they still go their separate ways. And then later at the end of Genesis, we have Joseph and his brothers. Brothers didn't like Joseph. He was the youngest son, the annoying one. So they decided to not murder him like Cain did, but pretend like he was dead. So they killed a pig or some other animal and spread blood and made like a fake crime scene, then sold him into slavery so they didn't have to put up with him anymore. But what happens later in the story is... uh, God is with Joseph. 
He rises to power. A famine comes in the whole land. His brothers go to Egypt. Joseph is number two in power. And what does Joseph do when he sees his brothers? He doesn't say, you guys are toxic people. Get away from me. Instead, he forgives them. He hugs them. And unlike the other two stories where fellowship was broken or semi-broken, they live together. Their relationships are restored. So we see this possibility, in spite of all the strife that goes on throughout the Old Testament, of the possibility of reconciliation. Jeremiah predicts what's going to happen in the New Testament. He was a prophet on how this reconciliation can be a real possibility. He says, But this is the covenant I have made with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put the law in their minds and inscribe it in their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. So Jeremiah, many, many years before Christ even come, predicted that God was going to do something new. And rather than having these laws that were impossible to keep, God was going to put the law in people's hearts, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, and through fellowship with other people, where people could be reconciled, they could live this kind of love out. And then Jesus comes along and says, a new commandment I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. And notice he didn't say, hey, here's an idea, guys, or a suggestion. He said, no, this is a commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples or my followers if you love one another. So then Paul picks up on this whole idea. You see, the disciples had seen the uh, risen Christ. Paul gets uh, invited into the fold, filled with the Holy Spirit. He starts telling everybody about Jesus. All these churches come up. But even with this, they have drama. They have trouble. And so as he's writing to the Galatians, he wants to tell them how to live out this command, how this can be a possibility in their lives. And he starts by, uh, by telling them this. He said, look, you guys are in this together. You're not on your own. And together you have mutual accountability, for lack of better words. So he gives, uh, there's four things I want to tell you that he uh, t- tells the people at the end of this letter. The first one is this, is he says that, um, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore, restore that person gently. So in other words, when somebody who's a part of our church family here, or part of your friend group, is struggling, rather than saying, you know what, you're not part of our group anymore, gently to restore that person because you love them and care about them. In other words, we are our brothers and sisters' keeper. Our job is to restore people who are broken, to bring them back, to not just ditch people because they're going through a tough time. The writer of Hebrews writes this, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, that means all of us, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. In other words, our collective group has a responsibility to each other. That when we're struggling, maybe we're caught up in an addiction, an unhealthy pattern in life. Maybe we're just overstricken with grief from just stuff that's happened in our life that we help to restore that person to walk alongside of them. The second thing he says uh, for us as a group is to carry each other's burdens. Okay, that sounds good, but what does that really mean? Well, in our tradition, in a lot of liturgical churches, we have baptism, we have weddings, and we have funerals. Well, that's pretty much every Christian tradition, right? But in ours, uh, during the ceremony, there's something that we say in, uh, in two of them and something in the third that I always tell people. 
You see, in the baptism, when a baby is being baptized or an adult is being baptized, collectively as a group, we make a commitment to walk alongside that person, to help them, to develop faith, to not waver, to restore them when they walk away. So we collectively do that. When a couple gets married, even though people oftentimes aren't paying attention, collectively they say, we will help this couple to stay married, to do everything in our power to encourage them as they begin this journey together. And in a funeral, when the person is there who's lost a spouse or a a family loved one, I always tell people when I give homilies that we're making a commitment to walk alongside that person as well in their grief, to not leave them alone. See, that's what it means to carry each other's burdens. I met this guy named Bonaventure, after the saint, I'm probably saying that wrong, but he was an African guy, I forget what country he was from, but I was asking him, we were talking about faith, and he was a strong believer, and he said, you know, in Africa, we think about relationships differently, because he'd been in America for a while, and he said, let me give you an example. When a friend of mine, he, he said, a friend of mine's spouse died, and in my tradition, that person is never left alone for a year. Kind of sounds a little too much, but he said that the point is this, is they, they always have someone sit with them. They don't talk to them and say, how you doing? How you doing? How you doing? No. They just stay with them. There's always somebody's around that person. They don't let them stay alone. He also said when he comes back to Africa, he had to buy every one of his friend's gifts. So it's very expensive to live there as well. But they value relationships and they really carry each other's burdens. Again, I want to go back to Hebrews one time. He said, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. So the simple things that help us to carry each other's burdens when we're going through a tough time. So we have this group thing that we're supposed to do together. And we also have a personal responsibility inside our group. Now, some of y'all know that I'm a Patriots fan, but uh, don't hold that against me. But uh, Belichick, and don't hold that against me either that I'm quoting him, but he has this whole thing where he says, do your job. You see, that everybody on that team knows that they have a job to do, whether you're the center, the wide receiver, the punter, the kicker, the guy who holds the clipboard. Everyone knows what they're supposed to do. And so for all of us, we have a job to do inside that community that helps to restore us and carry each other's burdens. And our job is to be living sacrifices for one another, that we lay down our lives for each other. And we're also responsible for the kind of lives that we live. It says in Galatians, you reap what you sow. Do not be deceived. God cannot mock. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please the flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. In other words, as Eugene Peterson writes about the same person, the person who plants selfishness in their lives, who says no no to God and yes to self, they ignore the needs of others, and in a sense, they ignore God's, and their lives become weeds. Where those who uh, put God first in their lives, they say, God, I need you, I submit my life to you, the opposite happens. You bring real life to people. You bring hope to people. You bring the message of eternal life that's found in Christ to people through your words, through your actions, the way you live life. See, we have a responsibility every day to submit ourselves and say, God, I need you so you can sow these good things in my life and help me to produce fruit that can help people. That's our first job. Our second is, uh, it says, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, 
especially those who belong to the family of believers. So all of you all, it starts right here at home in your church, in your friend group, in your families, that you start by loving them. Even when you come home from a mission trip and you're grumpy and you need to uh, love and care for your family, it starts there. But it's not on you alone. God is with you. He empowers you with the Holy Spirit to do that. And then from there, these circles that start going out in your life, almost like when you throw a rock in a pond and you have the little circle in the next and the next, it starts going out into other relationships, other people that you come in contact with. It says in Hebrews, uh, the last one, and let us consider how we must spur, may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So your job is to sow the fruits of the Spirit in your life by submitting yourself to God, to do good to all people. Church, these times, the youth group that we have on Sunday night, these are times to refuel. And let me use one more sports analogy. Sorry for people who don't like sports. It's like training camp. Or military people, it's like boot camp. You come here to get hyper-focused so you can go out and share this love of Christ with everyone. That's what this time is. It's not just for the benefit of you to work on your connection with God. It's to go out and do your job to bring this love to the world. So what are you going to do about this message today? We can listen to that and say, hey, that was a good message, or maybe not, whatever you think. But um, the first thing uh, where this can become more of a reality in your life is to submit, as I said earlier, to God and be honest about that you need help. Because I know I do, and I'm sure every one of you needs help in your relationships. There's a writer named Bob Goff who I really like. He says, Jesus never had a problem with people who knew their shortcomings, but he didn't tolerate people who faked it. So there's your invitation right now. Don't fake it. Admit that you need help. That you can't do life on your own alone very well. So submit to God and say, I need your help, be honest. Secondly, understand God's calling in your life. Remember that thing he said, not a suggestion, not an idea that I had, but a commandment to go out and love one another. You're called to that too. Don't get caught up in a culture that sometimes tries to socially engineer their life so they just have these positive people around them and they don't want to have any drama in their life because that is not possible. Instead, the people right around you, your family, your friends, the people you come in contact with, share this love with all of them. Put this into practice every day, not just once in a while when you feel like it, when you've had a good cup of coffee and you have a lot of energy, but every day we're called to keep each other mutually accountable, to help restore each other when we've fallen away, to carry each other's burdens to sow the fruits of the Spirit in our life through God's help and to extend this love to everybody we come into contact with. As I said earlier, this morning we have a few groups that we're going to acknowledge and, uh, and pray for. We have this mission team that's going to Honduras. And as I talked about last week with Dominican, these mission trips are like a snapshot of what your life should be like on a bigger scale all the time. So you'll have the opportunity to not only encourage each other as a group, but to share the love and encourage uh, uh, the people that you're going to come in contact with in Honduras with Urban Promise. So you have an opportunity to live this out this week.
Secondly, the graduates. The group that I've had for the last four or five, six years, some of them have been a real tight group with friends. There's a few of them have, that have been newer to the group that have come in, uh, but, but all of them know each other very well. You can start with each other as you get ready to, ready to start this next chapter in life. That you guys make a habit of uh, keeping in touch, caring for each other. If somebody's struggling with somebody, don't just talk about them bad, but instead uh, try to help them the best you can. The other thing is that uh, you all would make a commitment as you go through life to realize that trying to live life on your own doesn't work. And you continue to, best you can, to submit your life. And as that writer said, Bob Goff, to ad- don't fake it. Just say, God, I need you every day. Y'all are at a great stage in your life, a great opportunity to be lifelong followers of Christ and to bring hope t- to people. And then finally, for our church, this guy named Michael Hyatt that says culture drives performance. He's one of those business guru kind of guys. But our job is not on our own to try to socially engineer and to create a culture, but through the help of the Holy Spirit, through God's power, to create a culture here that we love people, that we follow this commandment and we live it out in this community. People are going to see that we're flawed, because we all are, but they're going to see that there's a hope that lives in us because of our faith in Christ. Finally, I wanted to conclude uh, uh, with this story about this cathedral. It's a true story about St. Paul's Cathedral in London. Christopher Wren, the one who designed it, started interviewing some of the people who were working there to, to find out what they were thinking and what their reactions were, of the, especially the construction workers. So when he asked them what they were doing, here's what some of them said. Uh, some said, I'm laying bricks. Some said, I'm carrying stones. But one worker who seemed to be extra excited, said, said this, and he was very cheerful. He, he said this, I am building a magnificent cathedral. Even though he was mixing cement like everyone else, he saw the bigger picture. You see, all of us who believe, who put our faith in Christ, have this real hope of eternal life. That's the big picture. And when we understand that death doesn't have the final word in our lives, we live life not so cautiously, not in a dangerous way. We don't run in front of cars, but instead we're willing to uh, go out on a limb to love people that are difficult to love. We see the bigger picture. For those who in Dominican who laid concrete that day, they know that can be very tough, but once we knew that we were building a house, it made it a lot easier. But we too are building, in a sense, a spiritual house. We're inviting more people into the family, and along the way we continue to love people the best we can through the help of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you that on our own we can't do this. And the reason I thank you for that is that you supply all that we need. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, you help us to be the best and only version of ourselves that you designed. And that's being close to you. I pray for everyone here. I don't know where everyone is at in their faith and their understanding of you. But I pray they would draw closer today. They would submit their lives to you. And then help us together to carry each other's burdens, to restore each other as individuals to do our job to sow the fruits of the Spirit through your help and to extend this love to everybody. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Having heard the word of the Lord read and proclaimed, let us stand to reaffirm our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. 
We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. He came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He's from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified, spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. the world to come. Amen.